If you would grab your Bibles, we're going to get into a message of hope this morning. Turn to the person next to you and say, there's going to be hope. There is hope, right? Not there's going to be hope, there is hope. And if you've been around church, you know the big story of Resurrection Sunday. But I want to read to you a few verses from Matthew chapter 28. And, and, and this is a scene where the women have, uh, you know, they, they, they've been waiting for Sabbath to be over. Of course, Sabbath was Saturday. And so early Sunday morning, as soon as the sun is rising, like they get to the tomb because they want to anoint and prepare the body of Jesus. And it says that, uh, that, that, that they, the, the tomb uh, stone is rolled away. And this is what happens in verse 5. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know that you're looking for Jesus. And I love how it says that he who was crucified, but he isn't here. He is risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Come see where his body was lying, right? Like it's all past tense. He, he was crucified. He was in the grave, but he's not in the grave anymore. And I want you to know, Jesus didn't just experience resurrection, Jesus is resurrection. Now, some of you didn't hear me. Jesus didn't just experience resurrection, Jesus is resurrection. And, and the whole rest of our time together, we're going to unpack what that means that Jesus is resurrection. In fact, to best do that, we're going to zoom out and uh, we're actually going to go to a different tomb. And this is not the tomb of Jesus. In fact, if this is a timeline of Jesus' life, we're now going to rewind a bit and go a few weeks before Jesus' death. And the scene is this, that Jesus is teaching and uh, he's got his disciples around him and probably healing some people, performing miracles. And he gets a message from two of his closest friends who said, hey, your best friend, Lazarus, he's sick. And like, He's really sick. This isn't the cold. Like, he's going to die. If you don't come, if you don't do something, your friend is going to die. And the implicit message is, Jesus, you better get to Bethany quick. This is urgent, right? And if you don't know the story, this is in John chapter 11, and we're going to actually read some of the passages here in a moment. But, but Jesus doesn't do what everybody expects him to do. Everybody thinks because he loves his friend, because he cares about his friend, that he's going to book it and hightail it back to Bethany so he can be with his friend. But Jesus does something we would not expect him to do. He stays right where he is. He doesn't lift a finger. He keeps doing what he was doing. I mean, I'm not just saying for the rest of that day. I'm saying for the next several days. And by the time he does finally slowly meander back to Bethany, he gets the news that Lazarus, one of his best friends in the whole wide world, has been dead for four days. And Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, get word that Jesus is there. And it's very interesting that in verse 20, Mary stays in the house. She's like, I'm having nothing of this, right? But Martha comes out to Jesus, and this is where we're going to pick up in John chapter 11, verse 21, that Jesus is met by Martha. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And we're going to pause here. If you haven't been to Journey before, you haven't heard me preach, I like to pause a lot. So this is kind of like, like you're like, are, are we going to keep reading? Are we not going to be, are we done reading this passage? Can I close my Bible? No, stick a pen or something in there. But I, I, want, to, I want to park on this. Her first words to Jesus are, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I love her honesty. I love that she doesn't use religious jargon, that she's just, this is flat out the case. Can I tell you, in order to talk about resurrection this morning, we've got to talk about death. 
And we don't want to talk about death. Not when we're wearing our Easter pastel best, right? Like, we're here to talk about resurrection. We're here to talk about life. We don't want to talk about death. But the truth of the matter is, death informs life. Like, if we don't understand death, we'll never actually understand life. And that death is undeniable, and it is inevitable. In fact, I hate to be really morbid, but do you know we are actually right now in the state of dying? <laughs> yeah. Instead of me trying to describe this to you, we'll watch a scene from one of my favorite movies, and with all apologies to the younger middle school students and high school students, you probably haven't seen this before, but this is a comedy classic. We're going to watch a scene from one of my favorite movies, What About Bob? Would you watch the screen here? Bob? Yeah? Are you afraid of death? Yeah. Me too. And there's no way out of it. You're going to die. I'm going to die. It's going to happen. And what difference does it make if it's tomorrow or in 80 years? Much sooner in your case. Do you know how fast time goes? I was six, like yesterday. Me too. I'm going to die. You are going to die. What else is there to be afraid of? I love that scene. <laughs> We're going to die, right? Here, here's, here's the truth of the matter. How we think about death determines how we live. If, you're, if there's any lesson we've learned in the last year, this is truly one of the lessons, right? If we're fearful regarding death, we will be fearful regarding life. Understanding death is critical to understanding life. So, so Martha, Martha's just real. And I love what Martha does. That Martha doesn't distance herself from Jesus. Like she goes straight to Jesus in her sorrow, in her anger, in her blame, in her just all the different emotions that we all feel when we're grieving. Lord, if you had only been here. But Jesus, I've seen you do miracles. I've seen you touch a lame man and he now is leaping. I've seen you go to that blind person and put your hands on his eyes and now he can see. And I've seen you do these things. If you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. But then she says something very interesting in verse 22. She says, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And I can't help but think, I wonder, like, did Martha really even understand, like, the depth of what she's communicating here? Like, did she really get what she was at? Like, even now, even with him being dead for four days, I trust and I know and I have a dependency upon you, Jesus, that even in this moment, that if you ask God for something, he's going to give it to you. So Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And this is where she gets spiritual, right? Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Yeah, I get that he's going to rise again. I get we're all gonna, we're all going to die. We will all rise again. There's so you know we'll all be meet together in the sweet by and by and and all of that. She, she doesn't get where Jesus is going to take her. How could she? We wouldn't either, right? But here, here's what I want you to get: 
that Martha grieved toward Jesus. Grieving is hard. We've had a lot of grief in the last year, haven't we? And some of you, you've grieved the, the, the physical death of someone that you love, and there's nothing harder in this world. But you know, we experience grief of different things, too. Different ideas, different thoughts, different visions. And, and, and when we're experiencing grief, it seems like there's just, it's human nature, it's part of our brokenness that we do everything that we can to escape the grief. I mean, we'll go harder than we ever had before, faster than we ever had before. We'll do anything to numb the grief. We'll do anything to escape the grief. We don't want to be in an empty house when we're grieving, right? We run from it. But Martha did something that's counterintuitive. She ran to Jesus. And whatever you're grieving this morning, whatever, it, whatever in your life is broken, whatever in your life you look at and you go, well, that's hopeless, can I challenge you to grieve toward Jesus, to move toward Jesus? Verse 25, Jesus told Martha, I love this, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Before we get to Martha's response, can I just remind you that Jesus didn't just experience death or resurrection. Jesus is resurrection. He didn't just experience resurrection. Jesus is resurrection. He offers resurrection. Do you remember the fairy tale of a king named Midas? And everything that Midas touched turned to what? It turned to gold. Can I tell you, that was a fairy tale. There is a true reality. It's truer than we can even imagine that everything that Jesus touches experiences life. And if there's something in your life that needs to experience life, something in your life that is dead, that is broken, can I tell you, the best thing that you can do is put yourself in a posture where Jesus, the master, can touch you. Because he will bring life. No matter how broken you are on the inside, Jesus is resurrection. Do you feel like all hope is gone? Jesus is resurrection. Are you trapped by addictions? Jesus is resurrection. Maybe COVID has you feeling like you're someone who you weren't before. Jesus is resurrection. Maybe your hope in every system you think of the political systems and you think of the economic systems and maybe your trust in all systems is, is irretrievable. Jesus is resurrection. He asked Martha, do you believe? Do you believe that I'm the resurrection? Do you believe that I'm the life? And in verse 27, we see Martha's response. Yes, Lord, Martha told him. Now this is instructive. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. That's, that's a huge response. That even in the midst of her grief, that she has the, the spiritual perspective and insight to be able to say, Jesus, I've always believed in you. I know who you are. I know that you're the Messiah. I know that you're the Son of God. I know who you've come from, that you didn't, you didn't just come from your mama that you've come from the Heavenly Father. I, can I tell you, whatever you're facing right now, even that insight, as you not only distance yourself, you know, don't distance yourself, but you draw near to him, and in your grief, you come to Jesus. Man, if you can come to Jesus, and in spite of what's going on in your life, you can say, I know who you are. 
I know you're the Messiah. I get who you are. Now, verse 28 is so cool, too. Then Martha returned to Mary, and she called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, and this line has just been echoing in my heart all week long, the teacher is here, and he wants to see you. You get the difference? Mary is like, she heard that Jesus is here, and she's like, I'm staying here. Verse 20, she's, she, I'm staying in the house. Martha had ran out. Martha has this time with Jesus. Now Martha comes back to Mary, and she says, the teacher is here, and he wants to see you. Can I tell you, sometimes in our grief, it's hard for us to draw near to Jesus. And in those moments, I hope and I pray that you have a friend. I hope that there's someone in your life who will love you so much to come into your life and minister their very presence and say, can I just tell you with all love and with all affection and with all devotion to you that the teacher is here and he wants to see you. I hope you have somebody like that in your life. There have been times in my life where it's been so necessary for somebody else to come to me because I've distanced myself. But thank God for friends. Thank God for mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers who will say, I'm not letting go. Jesus is here. The teacher is here. The master is here. And he wants to see you. And I'm going to keep interceding. And I'm going to keep believing even though I don't see any outward evidence that you're turning to him. This is one of the reasons, and this is kind of like a little commercial break here, but this is one of the reasons why life groups are so important. We're starting a whole new series of life groups. Even this next week, there's a whole bunch of new ones. If you go to our app or you go to our website, but here, here, here's why life groups are important. They're not necessarily important when everything's cupcakes and unicorns. They're important when the bottom falls out. They're important when, when you don't know which way is up and which way is down, but here's the problem. You don't know when that's going to happen. You can't put it on your calendar. So here's what I advise you. Man, get around a small group of people who will encourage you and love you and who will listen to your questions and listen to your doubts and who will help the Bible come to life because in that moment when you need them most, they'll be there. I love that Martha calls Mary aside and tells her the teacher is here and he wants to see you. Maybe you look around and you say, like, even during our time of singing, like, like you're like, man, you're looking around, you see all these Marthas. You're like, man, they just so naturally connect with Jesus. Like, I don't, I don't connect with them that way. Like, it's hard for me. I tell you, that's okay. That's okay. The master is here. The teacher is here. And he wants to see you. He cares about you. Verse 29, so, so Mary immediately went to him. There's no time like the present. When the Holy Spirit's stirring in your heart, don't wait. Don't say, oh, I, I, I know that the master's here. I know that he wants to see, but I, I'll, I'll connect with him tomorrow. I'll connect with him several months from now. No, he's here and he wants to see you right now. How are you going to respond? She immediately, did you see that? She immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. And when the people who were at the house consoling Mary uh, saw her leave so hastily, they, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, look at this, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And again, the honesty. We saw this with Martha earlier, right? But just the honesty. 
to just say, this is what I'm feeling. Can I tell you, maybe you've never heard this before. Maybe a pastor has never given you permission to do this. But can I tell you, all throughout the Bible, we have examples of people who their prayer was not some glowing King James version, these, thous. The language of the prayer was, God, I don't understand. God, I don't get this. God, where are you? We have a whole book of the Bible called Psalms. And as you read through these Psalms, you'll find so many of them are David going, I feel like I'm drowning. I feel like I'm suffocating. God, I've called out to you and you haven't answered. Where are you? I need you. Can I tell you, that is a great prayer to pray because you're praying it to Jesus. You're praying it to him. You're drawing near to him. And so Mary, she finally goes to Jesus, but the first words out of her mouth are not, I love you, you're the best, you're great, you do miracles so great. The words out of her mouth are, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But notice her posture. Where does she say this from? Where where was she? It says, when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. I know what she's saying with her mouth, but her posture is communicating something. I think that her posture is communicating, Jesus, I want to believe. But there's this part of me that is just incapable of believing right now. Have you ever been there? And this is what Mary is saying. There's this part of me that is so hurt in this moment. I need you to help me. (laughs) How does Jesus respond? Does he rebuke her? Where's your faith, woman? Get out of my face. Until you come to me with more faith, until you come to me with a different response, then we can talk. No, he doesn't do that at all. It says in verse 33, when Jesus saw Mary weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, and the New Living Translation is a little bit confusing here. What we have on the screen, it says, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. The other translations, I think this is the only translation that says anger. Basically, the Greek, what's going on here is that he is so deeply moved that it is comparable to the emotion of anger. Don't be mistaken, and don't don't let this confuse you or get you off track. Jesus isn't angry at these people. He is so moved with emotion in this moment as he watches Mary grieve, as he watches these other grieve. He himself is filled with this emotion. Verse 34, where have you put him, he asked them. And they told him, Lord, come and see. And then we have verse 35, which, how many of you grew up in the church? Anybody grew up in the church? Every once in a while, you'd be told to memorize a verse of scripture. And anybody who grew up in the church, and I'm talking about the people who were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, I'm telling you, you know John 11:35, Because you would give that snarky response. They'd say, oh, you need to memorize scripture. You'd be like, I've got scripture memorized, John 11:35. Jesus wept. <laughs> Shortest verse in the Bible, right? And we'd be all snarky with it and so proud of ourselves that we had found the shortest verse in the Bible. But can, can I tell you, it's all also, and I didn't realize it until I've gotten older, it's also one of the most profound verses in the Bible. Amen. That Jesus is son of God. Jesus, the co-creator of the universe. Jesus who holds all things together. That Jesus is affected by the emotion of people that he loves. And he enters into that emotion and he wept with them. And the people who are standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. Tears activate intimacy. 
I've seen it so many times when I've been counseling a couple and, and they come in and, and you know, they, they walk in the room and, and they're just angry at each other and they don't even understand why they're married to each other and they hate each other and, and you have them just sit, and I'm, I'm a horrible counselor, by the way. I just, I don't, I don't want a bunch of people calling me tomorrow going, oh, you're, I'm a, I wouldn't go to me. So, <laughs> but the, the best I can do is just kind of sit there and I listen and I write some things down on a notebook paper and... And then I'll pray with them at the end, and they go, oh, thank you so much. And I'm like, I just listened. If you want good counseling, go to someone who's trained in that. But, but one of the things I'll find is that how tears activate intimacy. That one, one, one spouse will start crying, and the other one, you'll, you'll see how we are drawn to tears. The, the great poet, uh, Robert Herrick, he says this. Um, he says, tears are the noble language of the eye. There's, there's been all kinds of research on our tears. Probably one of the best that I heard is I was reading a book by John Ordberg. By the way, the title of this book is I Would Like You More If You Were More Like Me. It's a great, fascinating book. If you're looking for a good read, it's, just fun, it's a fun read. But he, in this book, he's talking about some research that was done. And so these researchers got two different groups of people, and they showed them a, an image that was the same exact image with one difference. In one image, they showed him the, the image of, of the boy with the tears. And in the other image, they had photoshopped out the tears. So this, everything else was the same exact, but the one without the tears had a drastic difference in how people responded. This is in the book. It says, um, except for I'm at the wrong place, just a second, let me find out where it was at. It says, it turned out that the people were far more likely to want to reach out or express compassion when looking at photos that include tears. The Bible is full of tears. The word tears occurs about 90 times in the Bible, with 30 additional references to crying or to weeping. Did you know that? Say, I didn't. It's Easter Sunday. I don't need to know that, right? Like, why are you talking so much about this? I was feeling great until you started your sermon. <laughs> I don't know what you are grieving on this Resurrection Sunday. Like I said earlier, maybe you are literally grieving the death of a loved one. Maybe it's more complicated. Maybe it's the end of a relationship. Maybe it's the death of a dream. Maybe expectations have been shattered. Can I tell you, when you grieve toward Jesus, you will experience his presence. And he doesn't approach you with an Instagram filter, a sad face emoji, crying face emoji, rain clouds emoji. He doesn't do that. He draws near to you. And he ministers to you his presence. He ministers to you his presence. He will weep with you and he will weep for you. But make no mistake, even in the tears, Jesus didn't just experience resurrection, Jesus himself is resurrection. Verse 39, immediately after this, roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister and ever practical sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Again, I love the King James Version here. He stinketh. <laughs> and how many times would we use that growing up, right? Like that was such an epic, the smell will be terrible. No, I like better, he stinketh. 
Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. I love this. This is just kind of parenthetical. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so they will believe that you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Jesus didn't himself experience resurrection. He, he didn't just experience resurrection. Jesus is resurrection. He offers resurrection. Maybe you stopped hoping. I'll, I'll never change. She'll never recover. He'll always be that way. Jesus is resurrection. He is resurrection. As a result of this incredible miracle, if you keep looking in, in your Bibles in John chapter 11, if you read down to the next section, you'll see that um, the response, beginning in verse 45, the response is that some believed in him. In fact, many believed in him. But there was also a visceral response in the negative, that this was the catalytic moment. Already we knew that the, the Pharisees and religious leaders didn't like Jesus. But verse 47 says they now reached a point where they actually convened the Sanhedrin for the specific purpose of figuring out how they were going to arrest and get rid of Jesus. Literally weeks after this event, Jesus would be arrested in the middle of the night. He'd be put on trial, the quickest trial you've ever seen. He would be sentenced to death. He'd be beaten, punched in the face, hair pulled out, mocked, ridiculed, spit on, called all kinds of names. He'd be stripped of his clothes. He'd march through the streets of Jerusalem carrying his own cross. He would be executed on that cross, gasping last breaths, and put in a borrowed tomb. And three days later, he would demonstrate that Jesus doesn't just experience resurrection he is resurrection he is resurrection he is life as we get ready to close I, I want us to do a response reading and I know we don't do this all the time at Journey Church probably a lot of you in the churches you grew up in this was part of your worship every week but we're gonna we're gonna put some phrases and some words up on the screen and in the response I'll read the first part and then your response will be Jesus is resurrection everybody got it I know it can be confusing. So I'm going to say a line, and then you will say Jesus' is resurrection. So we'll put these up on the screen. The first one, if you feel broken inside, Jesus is resurrection. If you feel all hope is gone, Jesus is resurrection. If you tr feel trapped by what's in front of you, Jesus is resurrection. If you feel tossed by waves of fear and guilt, Jesus is resurrection. If you feel prisoner to anxiety and depression, Jesus is resurrection. If you feel grief has robbed you of joy, Jesus is resurrection. Jesus is resurrection. Maybe like Mary, you need to be told that Jesus is here and he wants to see you. It's true. He's here right now through the ministry of his Holy Spirit. And he wants to see you. And it's not the deal like when you're in a classroom 
and the note would come that the principal wants to see you. It's not that kind of he wants to see you. Everything Jesus touches experiences his resurrection life. He wants to see you. He has life for you. He has resurrection available for you. So let me ask you, do you need his life? Do you need his resurrection? Maybe this is timely, and I can tell you that God has divinely put this message on my heart. Can I tell you, there's someone in this room that even this past week, like your world has been shaken. Jesus didn't just experience resurrection. He is resurrection for you. He wants to touch you. He wants to see you. Would you bow your heads? If you need resurrection, you need life. And this isn't a, I wrestled with it. This isn't a thing of are you a Christian or are you not a Christian? Are you a good person or are you a bad person? That's not what this, this altar call is right now for. But there's something going on in your life and you need the touch of Jesus. You need resurrection. You need life. We don't usually do this at Journey, but this morning as I was praying, I felt very clearly that I'm going to have you respond in a way that we don't usually have you respond. I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting, if you need resurrection, would you stand? Would you say just immediately? Don't wait. Just immediately. If you need resurrection, would you stand right where you are? Would you stand to your feet? Just immediately. Jesus is here. And he wants to see you. He wants to minister his life to you. Anybody else? I feel like there's more. And by the way, if you're thinking about standing, but you haven't stood yet, just open your eyes real quick and look around, and you might now have the courage to stand as well. Anybody else? Come on, I feel like there's there's still another. There's still someone else who needs to stand. I don't know who it is, so don't feel like I'm like glaring at you right now. Anybody else? Jesus is here. And he wants to see you. Okay, stay standing for a moment if if that's you. Now I want everyone, keep your eyes closed. I need some of you who you have experienced the life of Jesus in a powerful way. I mean, you've experienced his life. God has done an incredible work in your life. And you have faith for other people this morning. Like you have that faith to go to the Mary and, and and to demonstrate what you have received from Jesus. If that's you would, you, would you open your eyes right now and come next to one of these people and it's gonna be weird and you're gonna to have to shift through people and would you go to someone who is standing right now? I need some of our, some of our believers, especially. That it, it could be anybody, really. And I just want you to just simply lay your hand on their shoulder, okay? We're not gonna get weird. You don't need to start putting your hand on foreheads and just pushing harder. That's not how we roll. If you, if you are standing and, and no one is next to you right now, you don't feel a hand on your shoulder yet, or if, if, would you just raise your hand? Because I want everyone to have an opportunity. Back here, all the way in the back, I need, I need a woman to go back there. Anybody else? Okay. If you don't know their name yet, would you just real quickly say, hey, this is really awkward. What's your name? Real quick, what's your name? 
We're just gonna coach you in how to pray. Okay, I, want, I know that you have some really cool prayers to pray, and in a moment I'm gonna unleash you to do that, okay? But first, I want you to look in that person's eyes. Now I want you, I know this is so awkward, right? Like you guys are like, this is just Easter. Like I didn't think this, all this was gonna go down. I want you to look in their eyes. I just want you to know Jesus loves you. Look in their eyes and say, Jesus loves you. Say it several times, Jesus loves you. He is here. He has life for you. And now would you just begin to pray your most faith-filled prayer for them? Would you just, I, I know this is weird. Some of you, you're like, I went to pray for that. I don't, I don't, I've never prayed for somebody out loud. Would you just, just pray your most faith-filled prayer? If you're, if you're not near somebody and you're a believer, would you just start praying, even out loud, would you just start praying for just that God would, that God would pour out life in this room? Dead places, we just declare that dead places would receive the resurrection life of Jesus. God, we speak into places where there's been barrenness, there's been nothing. God, we speak the life of Jesus. Father, in this room, we just declare healing. We declare breakthrough. We declare in the name of Jesus that those who are impoverished would hear the good news of Jesus. God, we speak over those who are imprisoned. Maybe they're imprisoned by addictions or by thoughts, thought patterns. God, we speak freedom in the name of Jesus. For those who have experienced blindness, physical or spiritual, God, we speak recovery of sight. For those who are oppressed, maybe oppressed by things that have been done to them by others, God, we declare release in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we speak your resurrection life. We speak your freedom. We speak breakthrough. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. You love every person in this room, God. If you're finished, you may be seated. As we're praying, I just feel like there's somebody who did not stand, and I just want you to know you didn't stand. I want you to know Jesus says to you, he loves you. Someone who needs to know that. You, like you had a whole wrestling match going on and now the enemy is like condemning you and all this crap. I just want you to know Jesus loves you. <laughs> he loves you. He loves you. Sir, he loves you. Ma'am, he loves you. Middle school student, he loves you. He loves you. Can I just pray one Last prayer, and then Pastor Megan's going to come. Well, I've got a few things I'll say, and then Pastor Megan's going to come. Father, we thank you that you experienced resurrection. (laughs) In fact, if you didn't experience resurrection, this all would be pointless. But I thank you that you not only experienced resurrection, you are resurrection. So in the moments this week where we feel that darkness that brokenness, that hopelessness. I pray your Holy Spirit would remind us of this truth. I pray we would even say it out loud. (laughs) Jesus, you didn't just experience resurrection. You are resurrection. I grab a hold of your resurrection. (laughs) 
that we would be a people who would speak life and speak hope. And God, show us the people this week that we can even go to and say, Jesus is here. He wants to see you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.